Howdy, folks. Uh, don't be confused. Uh, our friend Jan Levine is not in witness protection. He's just had a, has a lighting problem in his uh, in his abode, and uh, he'll be he's here, and uh, we'll have Ack in a few minutes. Um, Jan, I wanted to start talking about this because I wrote about this, and I noticed it in uh, Larry Brooks's Slap Shots column, and a lot of the rumors. It's funny. Uh, if you follow, and I follow all the reporters for TSN and Sportsnet and their pa the panels that they do, TSN's Insider Trading with Mackenzie Drager and LeBron is excellent, and and so is the Saturday Night Headlines with uh, Chris Johnston and Kiprios and Elliot Friedman. Um, and over the last two weeks, both of them have centered on the New York Rangers and at the point where the Rangers are still in a wild card spot. Now, they've lost Kreider for an indefinite period of time. They've lost Shattenkirk for an indefinite period of time with this um, meniscus tear. But and there's but they were still hanging in at that point, uh, a point or two in the wild card. Now I think they're a few points behind. They're not playing well, but they were all saying that you know Jeff Gordon might be preparing them for being sell in seller mode. Now, to start with that. What do you think of that premise? Do you because uh, we've had Russ in previous shows has said with the Knicks sucking badly, he finds it hard to believe that MSG will allow Gordon and Sather to sell because they want dates in April. What do you think? Well, I mean, so first of all, clearly the dates in April requires you, as you said, to make the playoffs. And, and right now there's this clearly no guarantee they're going to make the playoffs. So they left for the West Coast coming off of two, I would say, decent wins at home um, after struggling a lot. I mean, they, they've been very up and down. I think they were 3-5-2 and two before those two wins. Um, as we talked earlier in the year, they started off the season really poorly at 3-7-2, had a real hot streak. Things seem to be getting better, though if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics, the play of Lundqvist was masking a lot of the ills that exist on this team, which has been the case for several years now. And sure. so the numbers were not great, but they had remained themselves in contention. And I was in the position of if they can find a way to remediate this stuff, if Kevin Shattenkirk can start playing a bit better. If other things can happen, then maybe they take that step forward and they start to become buyers as opposed to sellers. And now what's happened is, is they go to the West Coast. The game ends Colorado. Um, the only reason why they stayed in that game is because the goaltending was so good. Because if not, they would have gotten completely knocked out of that game. Mm -hmm. Then they have this Sunday, Sunday night game where the first game against L.A., they jump to a 2 nothing lead. And unfortunately, as we've all seen, 2 nothing leads in the Rangers in L.A. do not go very well, given the past history, hearkening back to 2014. And they lose that game after giving up three power play goals. And that started more of the conversation of, all right, maybe we should be sellers. And then, of course, you know, the game they played the other night against Anaheim, they actually didn't play badly. Mm -hmm. they, they outshot Anaheim 18-8 in the first period. However, when four of those eight shots go in the goal, you're not playing particularly well. And if you look at the goals, the JT Brown goal is a short side shot that maybe should have been stopped by Lungfist was a two-on-one because of a shot that echoed out of the zone and created a two-on-one. Then you look at the power play goal where it was a bad change by the Rangers and 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 they came in on a clear breakaway and scored there. Then the third goal was David Descharnay backing up and giving Cagliano a shot top shelf. Then the fourth goal was a shorthanded opportunity on a really bad play by JT Miller that got him sat the rest of the game that gave Henrique a, a, a you know a breakaway and he basically undressed Andre Pavlik on his first goal, right? So you look at the game, you cut it, then you cut it to four three, you got a shot, and you take a Penalty at the end of second period, another penalty to start to third. It's a five on three. As soon as that five on three scores, they score Anaheim to make it five three. Now you've lost three in a row on the road. Mm -hmm. You've got, as you said, as we said before, this you have Chris Kreider out indefinitely. You have Kevin Shattenkirk out indefinitely. Your puck possession is basically in name only because they never possess the puck. 
You're giving up over 30 shots a game. I think the net differential shots per game between shots attempted and, and shots against is about eight per game, right. which is impossible. Lundqvist has masked a lot of the ills, and you start scratching your head and going, okay, we are in the toughest, or if not the toughest, one of the two toughest divisions in all of hockey right now in the Metro. It's a brutal slog to try to get in playoff position where five of the teams are going to make the playoffs and three of them aren't. You're outside the playoffs looking in right now. Mm-hmm. You're bleeding shots at an absolutely ridiculous rate. You've lost your best power forward. The guy who was supposed to be your offensive defenseman is now out, and you found out the reason why he struggled so much is you allowed him to play with a torn meniscus in his knee, um, which we can get into the the comments that you know AV made earlier in the season when he had the summit with Shattenkirk and said that he knows he's not playing up to his potential and needs to play better. And Larry Brooks wrote about that as well. And if you add all that up into the mix and you start saying, okay, I got Rick Nash, who's a unrestricted free agent. I got David Descharnay, an unrestricted free agent. I got Michael Grabner, an unrestricted free agent. I got several other restricted free agents. And you think that the depth of your team in the future may be on defense, which is why McDonough could net the biggest result. And if you add all of these together, you can kind of start building that story as to maybe he should be the guy to go. Now, the flip side is it, and I'll turn it to you. Is Toronto going to give up a uh, a Michael Nylander, who's not the guy I really want, or is they going to give up Mitch Marner, who's the guy I prefer, to go get a Ryan McDonough? And if they do that, are they doing it at the trade deadline? Are they doing it in the offseason? Because this is not with our, like Arizona with Keith Yandel, yeah. where there was a team going nowhere, and for them to give up a guy to get Duclair and a number one pick made the most sense. You're talking about a Toronto team that clearly does need a blue liner, although if you look at the play of some of the guys they've called up lately, they yeah. may not need that blue liner anymore. Well, let me, let, me, let me just cut you off and answer the question. No, they're not, they're not trading William Nealander for, for anything right now. I mean, the, the, you see what, you know, what he did last night in the game right. against Chicago. They're, yep. not trading Mitch, they're not trading Mitch Marner. He's a homegrown kid. He's very popular. He's, you know, I mean, they, they need those two players. They can't just rely everything and put everything on, on Austin Matthews' shoulders. You know, JVR is, an, is a UFA. He may not re-sign with them, depending on what, you know, Lou is w- willing to sign him to uh, at, for an extension. So they're not trading those guys. Now, you know, you, you can say, and uh, I, we're live, obviously. Um, yep. You can say, well, then you're not going to get a top-flight defenseman, but I, I think that they still can get a top-flight defenseman. It's going to be from a team, and the guy I'm focusing on now is Ekman Larson because that is that that organization is a train wreck of, of an organization right now, and they want young players who are cheap and and future assets. And you would think that they would want to 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 go in a direction where they'd want to build around like like they added Stepan and they added Yarmolson and they still are going to be 31st overall or 30th overall. So I think that it, Arizona is going to go the way of you know adding future assets, especially if Ekman Larson isn't going to resign there. So I don't think they're going to give up any other core forwards for. A McDonough who's at 28 years old has got a lot of wear on his tires. He's a great player. I, I he's one of my favorite defensemen. He's he's a playoff clutch performer, but he's you know he's been injured a bunch of times. He's he's logged a lot of minutes. I don't think they're going there. I I doubt Ottawa would trade Eric Carlson. I doubt he is not leaving Los Angeles. So I think I think Ekman Larson is the guy who they're going to end up targeting, and it's probably going to be at the in the summer. So. You know, I, 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 that's why I thought I was I sort of chuckled at Larry Brooks's uh, uh, insinuation regarding William Nylander. It sounded like somebody wanted to float a price out there to set the market for McDonough. But Toronto is not going to pay that price. 
So in terms of that, so I guess the things is, first of all, there's, I know a lot of people who think that Brooks is a, I wouldn't say shill, but used by the organization to float out air balloons and kind of see if anybody, you know, takes them and, and runs with them. And that's been an argument that some people have made, although granted, this mm. column today about John Tavares has started people chattering already that is he switching sides and going to start covering the Islanders uh, for, for them down the road, which <laughs> you know, like he used to in the past. And I don't think that's happening. But in terms of William Nylander, I mean, you mentioned Ekman Larson, right, for Toronto. Are they willing to give up one of the big boys to get him if they decide to get him? And B, the second argument I'll make on that is with Ekman Larson, does Toronto fancy themselves as a true cup contender this year? And would they make the move to get that blue liner right now for the hopes that he can help them for the playoff run? Or is there something they think they're realistically yeah. one or two years away and therefore you're getting a future asset as opposed to one for just now and one more season? Heck, what do you what do you think? Because I I I and I'll give my opinion. Things, a lot of things there. Um, yeah. All right. So if you were to say, Jan, based on um, I'm sorry for being late. And I'm sorry if I bug out early. We've got stuff going on with my son today. He's getting better, but he is sick now with 102 fever. So we've got that's a whole nother level of things we're doing doing. So I apologize yeah. for being late. Um, okay. and if I have to bug out a little bit early, I may. Okay. Not. Um. <clears throat> Jim, based on like the Rangers, you know, season so far, and and how well you think they should play, how would you rank this? Like between like a say one to ten, you know, ten being this is the best they've ever played, one being this is the worst you've ever seen. Where are they this year? Well, considering I hearken back to the Theo Fleury and Sandy McCarthy days, I don't think <laughs> I can give them a one, and I go well beyond that. And um, I mean, to me, honestly, I'd probably give them a three or a three. four. Yeah, I think that's okay. probably that's. I think that's fair. I think that I was thinking three or four. You know, um, maybe somewhere in there. I mean. And this is the crazy thing about that, you know. They, we say they're in the best division, right? They're in the best division in hockey. We're one of them. I mean, the, the the division has been shaky this year. So let's. I mean, I think we, you know, we're looking out west. We've got two divisions out west that are pretty darn good right now. But um, but even beyond that, you know, they are they're forty nine games in, right? And they're sitting there with fifty three points. So they're yeah. they're one. Point, they're two points behind oh, Pittsburgh. It, with a game Pittsburgh and Columbus, and they're tied with the Islanders. Three points ahead of Carolina. With a, Carolina has a game in I, hand. Okay. Yeah, and they're plus right. And Carolina's got and Carolina's got a game in hand, but Carolina has been playing pretty badly as of late. Um, yeah. As of the Rangers, you know the Rangers are you know three three and seven in their last tens. This, this is the this is the this is the worst streak they've had all year. And they're still so close to the playoffs. They're still. There's still a plus one in goal differential, which is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Rangers have been historically a better team, you know, as the year as I think with the experience they have as the year goes on, right? We're gonna I think you're gonna see better. I think that if, if there were some hot teams in the in the metro, you know, really, really running away with it, right. then they would sit there and say, Okay, maybe we don't have a chance, but this Atlantic, this this whole Eastern Conference, with the exception of Tampa, is just completely. I mean, and you know, even Boston, but Boston is there's and there's Toronto people. and Toronto act the the Atlantic, the top three in the Atlantic is almost a lead cinch. If Toronto doesn't go eighteen wheeler over the over the over the bridge or over the the cliff. There are right. there, there, I think they have thirteen points ahead. Yeah, no, I mean they've got the Boston's opened up a five point lead with four games at hand on Toronto. So yeah, yeah, I mean, no, no. I'm saying Toronto's Toronto's a lock for for a playoff spot, not for first. They're a lock for a third right now. Like you really yeah. looking like. I mean right. that's where they are, and that's probably where they should be based on the and, fact that Boston's had such a great year. But and to answer to answer Jan's question, that I think that that placement of Toronto 
would lead Lamar. I mean, they're okay. If some team is out there and off is offering a defenseman who they believe is a top four or somebody they can hold on for a number of years, they, they would make the deal right now at the deadline. I think that they're not looking at this in a window of we got to win this year. I think they're looking at no, it, we've got to win in the not. next two to three years. They're definitely not. They, um, they, they looked at, you know, talking to people around Toronto, they looked at last year, like they overachieved and right. this year they're about where they thought they'd be. Um, they basically thinking they last year they were a year ahead and now they're basically because they're almost the same. I mean the record is basically the yeah. same. They want to win a round and that's yeah. But, but but as I was saying when we talked about it, so tra- the guy I was talking about is Travis Dermott has come up and played really well for them. And yes. granted, it's only been a couple of games, but he solidified a role yes. that they need, right? And if he's one of those guys who's in your top six, right, and then right. you get Lightsef back, right, and you have the other guys there. McDonough is a guy who also when Riley's healthy, you right. can have those two guys run your power play. Oh yeah, a guy who can munch minutes and not have to worry about it. So. That's kind of point one on the flip side, what you're talking about. So, and Mike and I kind of started the conversation on this, right? You have Kreider yeah. out indefinitely, who's your best power forward, who's a guy who gets a lot of garbage in terms of, look, I personally think, has he reached his potential? No, but he's also a guy last year who finally took that step up, came close to 30 goals, and a guy who scored some big goals in the playoffs and is a net front presence. You also have, who, and you don't know when or if he'll be back this year. Mm-hmm. Then you have Kevin Shattenkirk, who, as somebody, unfortunately, who's had a meniscus tear in both knees, and has had two different surgeries, one being an excision on one knee and one being a repair on the other knee. What hasn't been announced yet is that he have an excision, which basically is literally just cutting the tear, or did he have a repair? Now, if you have a repair, in essence, what they do is put a fastener on your knee and you can't bend your knee for about six weeks. Right. And it's a longer recovery period because they do that if you're in an area of circulation and they don't want you to have arthritis down the road. Now, if it was an excision and there was no other damage in the area, the hope is that he should be back in four to six weeks. And that's the hope based upon especially being an elite athlete. Now, if you can remain in contention until then, that's great. But the problem is, is Brendan Smith has come in, and I don't think Smith has played badly per se. Granted, I don't know if you guys touched the Kyle Clifford hit from the other day, which is the retirement by Smith was probably a silly move, but understandable and probably ended up costing the Rangers a point, if not two in that game. But you you look at the defense as a whole that's underachieved dramatically, which was supposed to be the area that's improved on this team and hasn't. Right. Then you look at the forwards, and who no, per se is a forwards had a good year? None of them. Now, you want to rely upon past history and records. That's wonderful and good. But at some point in time, where do you draw the line and say, you know what, guys, this just isn't our year. Well, and we need to cut bait, especially when you've overused Lungfist the first 50 games of the season. And this and this is, this is where I, I, I think, you know, the Rangers right now are in the position that the Leafs were in, I would say, about ten years ago, with an aging with an aging Matt Sundin with some with a, some good players, but they weren't good enough. And it was always patchwork. It was always hodgepodge. It was always at the deadline. Let's add two players. You know, let let's you know patchwork, complete patchwork, just to get in the playoffs because they wanted you know because the uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Fund wanted a, a round or two in the playoffs. But that's not the way. That's not the way to the to run a team. And I don't know whether you know Dolan and MSG are hell bent on the the Rangers making the playoffs just for the sake of making the playoffs in a couple gates. If that's the case, I think they're they're it's an it's ill serving to the franchise because they do have some young guys coming around and they can all always use the prospects they get from trading a Nash or a Grabner or maybe a McDonough. But the thing is, McDonough is a guy that I resign. Maybe maybe not for seven or eight years like he's probably going to want, but he's he's still a, a good defenseman. And I think they're looking at three or four years down the line when he'll start to trail off, and that's what they're worried about. 
So here, here, let me tell, give you one piece of thing. So uh, you guys may not have read the New York papers, but Dolan and his wife are getting a divorce. So yeah. that people are wondering as to kind of what it's going to cost him. And, and the jokes that have been around is maybe we can grant um, the Rangers to his wife and let him cover <laughs> the Knicks. And that way then the Rangers can, can make moves to help themselves for the future yeah. and not focus just on the here and now. So that could play a factor in the, the, the determination of the direction that they want to go. It shouldn't. And you should be basing it on what's right for the team and the organization as a whole, not, not a short-term view on whether or not you need yeah. to start increasing revenue for yourself and potentially to cover your divorce. I would doubt that. I would doubt that he oh. needs that. I know, I know, I know a certain, a certain, uh, I, I know Phil Collins uh, made sure that the, the Genesis did a reunion tour in 2009 because he got divorced and he needed to cover his alimony. So there you go. I, nothing. And there's been, wasn't the LA, I know the LA Clipper situation, wasn't there? I believe it was, there was a divorce tied to it. It was another, oh no, it was the, it was the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers with Frank McCourt. That's what it was. So th it's not out of the realm of possibility, but, I but the Rangers are in, are in that spot where, you know, a lot of teams are, I mean, they're, 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 yeah. this is not an uncommon spot around the NHL. I mean, they're teams that are good and they might not be good enough to win the Stanley cup right now, but uh, also have the up right now and, you know, could any point and the goalie to do it. I mean, when you have a goalie, yes. you very rarely see teams totally, this is why Montreal is not going to, break it down you don't see goalies you know with this now lundquist isn't going to play there forever and he is getting older and he is slowing down to a degree but there's i, I don't i don't think that we're there yet i think we're a couple years early on this like pa on the panic on the rangers or the training you, you have guys like nash you have several rfas and yeah, but they can't wait to get rid of Nash because they, 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 I mean, they could do so much with that money. I mean, they want they want to do that very badly. I mean, they, and, and Nash has a, Nash has only a limited no trade. Well, He's got well, Twelve teams he has to name. Now, look, I, I've been the one who's been carrying the banner for Nash beyond the scoring for the whole season, and the, since he's been here, he does everything else but score. The guy has. I mean, thank you, Mike Babcock, for making him a penalty killer in the Winter Olympics several years ago. He kills yeah. penalty. He, he, he basically plays in all three zones. The guy has been snake bit. Now, he's finally got hot lately and had three two-goal games over the last couple of weeks, which has increased his mm -hmm. total, I think, to 15 for the year. The yeah. guy has just been snake bit except for one year here when he scored 42 goals. Other than that, he has not panned out in terms of a score, but I'm the kind of guy, look, you, you get, you're making $7.8 The focus greatly should be on what you're providing to that team offensively. The problem is what his number is salary-wise. If he was a guy right. making two million or three million, yeah, I wouldn't care. And I yeah, actually want been him back next year. I yeah, no, and he's always been the same, and they've always been expected to be a bigger scorer than he probably really ever is. I mean, right. it's not his game. He's got four hundred goals in his career, but he's got four hundred yeah, in his career. Well, he's not. He's not going to be the guy. He's not going to be the guy who scored fifty in Columbus. But the thing is, he's he's a candidate in the summer if he signs the Eric Stahl deal, you know, like a three-year, nine to ten million dollar deal. That he's he's going to be a home run for somebody. And the problem thing is, is that maybe people see his size, see his resume, and they say, "Oh, we got to pay him more," and he gets more. And then I think when he when he gets paid five million dollars, then he's not as much of a bargain. But if he takes that kind of deal at the right place, I think he's a great ad. But right now, you know, if you're talking about trading him at the deadline, I'm sure there are comp there are contending teams that would love to add him, but. 7.8 the rangers are going to have to withhold 50 percent of his contract just to get a return 
which is fine. There aren't that many teams that can do that. And if they if they if they do what you know what are the Rangers going to want for it too? Because that's like another thing. I mean, in more likelihood, it makes more sense for the Rangers just to ride it out with him and and try to get and try to try to you know win in the playoffs with him and try to see if where they can go. You know, like see where. I think I think there I think there are a few comp- a, a, a contending teams that could fit a prorated four million dollar cap hit. I mean, I'm sure that there probably are, and and I think he'd be. But the question is, if, if those teams are on his list now, he 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 has said. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like he has said he was going to use, or I I had heard rumors he was going to use, you know, whatever he could to prevent going that he loved it in New York so much. But if he has a twelve team. Uh, uh, you know, a limited no trade, then he can only do so much. Well, remember, you can always go to him and ask him to waive that no trade clause if you have a deal worked out, right? So, and B, according to Bob McKenzie yesterday, the Rangers have yet, keyword being yet, to approach Nash to give that list of 12 yeah. teams that he goes to. Look, I'm I'm the kind of guy, I've said this before, if I could get Nash and Grabner back, each of them for three years, $10, $11 million, sign me up right now. I'd be ecstatic because I think both of them can play key spots on this team and you can utilize that salary in terms of what you're saving from Nash elsewhere, especially when you have to make the key decisions on guys like JT Miller, Jimmy VC and Kevin Hayes this off season. And also Brady Shea, who in my opinion, he's their future number one defenseman. That's the guy I'm signing not to a bridge deal, but to a six, seven year deal, like what happened with Slavin and guys like that last year. Yeah. And, and, and and honestly, I think that you, you're likely to get more for Grabner at the deadline than you are for Nash because Grabner's salary is 1.6. Yep. A team like LA or teams out there that that have limited cap space that are contenders, he's got speed. He he's been able to finish a lot better with the Rangers than he did in Toronto. He's a veteran guy. He's a phenomenal penalty killer. That is a you know that is the perfect third line guy to add at the deadline. And I I think they could make a king's ransom by by trading Grabner. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, again, as you said, the salary is the key aspect. Look, the goals are nice, and granted, he's probably scored more than any of us would ever have expected him to score, especially after last year when everybody thought it was an aberration. Uh, but his speed, especially as a weapon in terms of just generically and on the penalty kill, and that's what he and Nash both provide also. Nash on the penalty kill has been great in terms of his ability to – to uh, granted, not lately because the Rangers are, are have given up seven goals the last 14 chances against on the penalty kill, dropping them from second in the league to 12th. So it's kind of hard to use that argument right now, given how porous they've been in that in that aspect of the game. Look, I've been holding out most of the year. I've been a guy who's been a believer that I think they're going to turn around. I think they're going to turn around. Even when Kreider ran out, I thought they would turn it around. But it's kind of hard not to see the writing on the wall when you look yeah. at all the advanced metrics, and I'm not a slave to it, and even the eye test, when you just sit there and scratch your head game after game, when the same stupid mistakes are made over and over again, and it has to be either the individual coach or the coaching staff or the philosophy or some combination therein that's causing this issue. And that's why I'm saying there may need to be wholesale changes in New York. And they simply just don't score enough goals to cover up for their I mean, you know, if you if you look at most if you look at most championship teams, it's a great number one goaltender, a number one or a number and or two defense good defensemen and strength up the middle. They, I think they have a they have a number one defenseman in McDonough. I, I like Brady Shea as a future guy. Lundqvist is among the best there is, but you know maybe he's starting to tail off. But after they trade Stepan, when you have like J T. Miller and Kevin Hayes playing up the middle and David DeHarnay, 
that's that's a that's a cavernous hole and you're not going to you know until like Leah Anderson comes in until they maybe get in the John Tavares sweepstakes if Tavares is willing to go someplace other than the Islanders they're not going to fill that hole in the offseason that's where Jeff Gordon's going to have to concentrate he's got to he's got to make sure he gets centers that's I mean again look I agree with you the center position has been weak I don't think that's necessarily the end all and be all of all their problems I definitely don't think it helps but if you compare it to last year right Stefan was their number one yeah, still you had number two is Zib and number three was, was Hayes. Now this year you've lost Stepan. Zibanejad's moved up, who was playing great again until he got hurt. And the yes. same thing happened last year, and he tailed off when he came back. Kevin Hayes has morphed himself from an offensive player to really a pretty darn good shutdown center right. as a number two or number three. So to me, what you what you really lacked and where Gordon didn't fill the bill, which is there's guys who I wanted. And I did not have a big issue with Descharnay. And actually, I think Boo Neves has been really good as their number four center. To me, what was the lacking piece of it was getting that number two or number three center and also adding another scoring wing. Now, drafting Anderson and kind of discuss it after draft, I think everybody expected Anderson to be that guy. And they were playing way too much, of uh, the targeting way too much of their hopes and dreams on him stepping in the lineup immediately as an 18 or 19-year-old and filling that gap. And when they didn't, they got caught with their pants down because they didn't have a second option there. And they've mixed and matched. Putting JT Miller, who's, in my opinion, ill-suited to play center, he's much better on the wing, though he's filled in at center. They've played Descharnay, they've played Neves, they've played Holland, they've played Carey. But the mistakes they're making isn't because their center play has been weak. It's because they're, the system that they're using and the way they're playing it is just not necessarily preventing shots, and it's, and it's bleeding shots way too often, and there's way too many holes. I mean, when a system calls for two defensemen to go behind the net and leave the slot open, that's a big problem. When you don't have handoffs and communication and you have so many goals coming from in front of the net, that's a big problem. Why are you double teaming behind the net? Why aren't you handing off and replacing? And this is the same error you see over and over and over again on this team. So it's either A, the players are stupid, which may be the case, but I can't think that's all of it. B, the system doesn't work. And there's been three defensive coaches in three yeah. years, all of which have played the same system between Bukaboom between Samuelson and between and between now rough and none of it's working or they've tuned the coaches out and they've just making the same mistakes or an amalgamation of all of them and yeah. I don't know which one's the answer but you put it all together and you have a pretty damning case that it's not working why don't we talk about uh, today's blog yeah let's we'll get into that too um did you guys get into Brad Marchand yet or anything nope we were no. saving it for you Yes. We'll talk about Brad Marchand for a second. Suspended five games for the elbow. Um, Marcus Johansson apparently has another concussion, which stings because he missed November with a concussion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, five games. I, I have to say watching it live, I was watching it live and I was watching it at regular speed. And at that point, I, I looked at it and I'm like, this doesn't look like much. And then when you slowed it down, you saw the chicken wing. You saw the arm come up in like as he's passing him by this. And he tried to sort of camouflage it, but it's Marshand. You know that that that's what exactly what, he was, what he was doing. Yeah. But but uh, the thing is, this guy, and he's an immense talent. But this is again, the it's the star treatment in the NHL. A different a different thing for players who are stars than players who are you know third fourth liners. If this was Matt Martin, he would have gotten and, and he had six suspensions like Marshand has. He would have gotten 10 games. Alex Ovechkin gets away with bloody murder most of the time when and, and sometimes doesn't even get suspended. Marchand, he's a repeat offender. Everybody knows he's a player who plays on the edge. I mean, I like that type of player, and I but he should have gotten more. I mean, when they said a phone hearing and he only got five games, I'm like, 
what does this guy have to do to get the, you know, to get the book thrown at him? Because I thought that that was what was going to happen, but apparently that's not going to happen. So my, I mean, my view on this is, I mean, as you said, first of all, phone hearings automatically, the max you can get is five games. So once right. you hit phone hearings, problem. six suspension, second and less than a year, history in the league. Here, here was, here's my view on how you handle this. And I tweeted this out yesterday. Make each, each suspension exponentially higher. You got one game the first time, your second offense, it's two games. If you got a five-game suspension and you and you now have a second one that calls for an in-person hearing, you double it. Very quickly, guys will get the message that the garbage that they're dealing will be petered out and they won't be able to do it. Marshawn is a repeat offender. Regardless of how talented he is offensively and how good that line is with him, with Bergeron and Pasternak, yeah. you have to send a clear message that this will no longer be tolerated. Yeah. Granted, five games is a hit, yeah. but... If you're not going to really send a message, have an in-person hearing and say, look, you've this is the sixth suspension you've had. We are now going to take drastic measures and give you a 15 to 20 game suspension. So you get the notice. Then maybe the coaches will get the notice. The GMs will get the notice and owners will get the notice and they'll stop the garbage and you'll have a cleaned up hockey league. Until that happens. This will keep repeating itself over and over again because there's not a big enough deterrent. Yeah, and if you wanted something to slow down the Bruins, who are the hottest team in the league, the, the, the events of this week have slowed up, slowed them down. Not Marchand suspension and and McAvoy having the heart ablation procedure where he's going to be out for a couple weeks. That's going to slow them down because that's arguably their best defenseman, you know, young, or at least their best young defenseman and their best forward. Yeah, no, I, I think – I mean – he definitely knows what he's doing. There's no question about it. It, it. it it looks it looks way worse slow motion for sure. But he definitely knows what he's doing, and I do agree. It's it's light on the suspension, but I also think that Marshawn is not going to necessarily learn from suspensions. I don't think it, I think he's the kind of guy who feels like this is what he has to do. Like he has to play this way. This is his this is his game. He's going to do what he's going to do. Um, he's never. I mean, I've never seen him hold up on anybody. You know, in any situation that he's suddenly going to they suddenly going to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to learn now because I'm not. I don't know. I just I don't see it. I don't well, see. Okay. It. But there's a clean. There's a clean way of playing. On, there's a clean, first. I understand playing on the edge. There's a clean way of playing it and a not clean way of playing it. And you can be physical and you can create space by your physical play, but also being clean and staying within the edge. Now, Marshat yeah. repeatedly goes over the edge, and maybe he thinks that creates space for him because guys right. are worried about it. Right. But uh, honestly. You want to you want to you want to change the tone. It's not just him. It's changing the tone for others within the league yeah. to avoid stuff like this happening. Send a message right now. You've had how many guys run through as being the head of the department of player safety, and the same thing keeps repeating. What you're doing is not working. I mean, yeah, he's not, not the he's sure. not the he's not the biggest player in the world. And smaller players like you know Marty San Louis and back in the day Pat Verbeek, you know they had to play on play on the edge a little bit, and they created their own space. But they they knew the I mean Pat Verbeek was 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 a dirty player. He was a dirty player, but I loved him in New York. Right, right, and then but the thing was, it's like he knew the line of not to, where not to cross. And you know, I, I've heard I've heard it said in hockey circles before. Sometimes it's good to take take a take a suspension or take a penalty just to send the signal out there that you know this is this is what it's all about. And I get that, but I think that the I think that the the signal that the little the little uh, implant in people's heads is there with Martian. Don't go near him because he's gonna because he's gonna hit you or he's gonna elbow you or do something. And he keeps he has. Has to keep making reminders and that usually, I don't think usually that usually that's said about defensemen not forwards you know like usually you'll say okay defense defenseman we want the defenseman's okay you know sending signals and stuff like that because you want a guy to keep an eye 
you know, keep his head up a little bit or be a little bit nervous when entering the zone. But, you know, forwards, not really as much. I mean, you can't really do much. I, I think it's because he's small. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's the smaller thing. He's yeah, not I mean, the biggest be, player. Could be. Um, now, today, before I have to get going possibly here, um, Hannafin's the name that came up today a lot. Um, I was kind of surprised because I haven't really heard much of him at all this year. His name does, has been mentioned here and there, of course, but – uh, now it seems like two teams are having serious talks, Mont- Montreal and Buffalo, both um, serious talks with about Hannafin. Um, and the names I heard, O'Reilly uh, in Buffalo's case, um, which is makes some sense, although I don't think O'Reilly's quick enough to play in Carolina. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, and that's my opinion, O'Reilly's speed is an issue. Yeah, but he's a center and he's an effective center, and that's where the, that's where they need to improve. I mean, we've yeah. talked we've Are talked about guy for six more years at seven and a half million dollars a year. That, that, well, that, see, that's this, a huge cap hit for a guy, in my opinion, who's a number two center. This could be, but this could be. Remember, and we talked about this on, on a previous pod, podcast when Terry Pagula came in in Buffalo. He immediately wanted to show his muscles, show his monetary muscles, and the first thing that he did was they traded for Brad Boys and helped him get in the playoffs. And then in the, the following summer, they went on the the the, the bad direction of Airhoff and Le, and Billy Leno. But you know, Dundon comes in; he's got money, and they're they're relatively close. Maybe they have a chance that make the playoffs but they're they've yeah. tailed off a little bit but they need help up the middle they need scoring and i've said that all year and yeah. they have an overabundance of defense and the problem is with hannafin i don't think it's because hannafin's not good because he's their all-star uh representative it's the fact that he's an rfa next summer they've signed slavin they've signed pesci they have falk under contract yeah. for another two or three years they're all all of them are making four close to five million or more they can't afford another five million plus defenseman, and I don't think Hannafin is taking a bridge deal because there'll be a there'll be an insurrection right. on the on the on the level of Jacob Truba if they if they do that. So they may find the wow. necessary to make that deal to get that scoring help that they need. The the logic of the deal I understand. I mean, and Hannafin's been the guy that's been rumored to be the one. Well, Justin Falk probably first. Yeah. But if they don't move Falk, Hannafin's been the other guy who's been rumored largely because of what you said, given what Falk's making right. and given what Passion and Slavin's got, you got to figure that Hannafin's going to get about five mil or more a year, based upon especially if salaries go up next year. And getting Pacioretty to me is a one is a one and a half year fix because after yeah. next year his UFA. If I'm giving up Hannafin, I want a guy of a similar ilk or maybe a little older making money where I have him locked up longer term than one year. So right. O'Reilly makes sense to an extent. I just think paying a guy like that $7.5 million for six more years after this year is, is an overpayment. Now, yeah. you got you got Stahl still making $6 million for several more years off the deal he signed years ago. Rask hasn't panned out like you wanted him to. To me, the guys that you're going to have, and you got to figure out, is Elias Lindholm a center or a wing? And he's likely been better served playing win. Tara Vinen is another guy in Ajo. So, I mean, those are the guys, to me, are really the core of your team. Yeah. I would want to bring in one more guy as a scorer. I just think paying six and a half, seven and a half million, sorry, for Ryan O'Reilly for six years after this one is a gross overpayment and usage yeah. of salary cap. And I and I, I know I know for a fact that you know going back to the 2015 draft, Mike Babcock was imploring. Uh, Mark Hunter to draft Hannafin instead of drafting Mitch Marner. Not to yeah, say that they don't yeah. like Mitch Marner, but if if Hannafin is truly out there, I would feel fairly confident in saying that Lou Lamorello has put in has put in a call. Now they may not want to pay the price that uh, that Carolina wants. I mean, if Carolina is yeah. asking for for uh, uh, Neilander or Marner, they're going to tell them to go stick it. But in, I, I think that they are they would be in. Definitely looking at Neilander. 
Say that again. You broke up there for a sec. That's what they have. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to, it's going to take one of those two and at least, and maybe something else. I don't know, but that's what, that's what, you know, it looks like. So that what I've heard with them is that they, that Jacob Truba actually is higher up on their, on their chart than, than, um, than Hannafin is. And that they look at Jacob Truba as like, if they could get Jacob Truba, they would consider, and of course, Truba, you know, could, can be his, his only, contract is only a little bit now and all that stuff. But so is Hannafin. Right. So you're in the same boat. Yeah, and the thing, the thing with Truba though, and it, it, talking Truba Toronto, is the fact that the Jets are strong where the Leafs are strong. The Jets are strong at forward, right. and the Leafs have a lot of depth at forward. The Leafs don't have a ton of young depth. I mean, Travis Dermott, who just who Jan mentioned, who just got called up. Um, you know, he's 21 years old. He's a prospect. He's not, not, not even close to being established. Although I, I, a lot of people are encouraged by the way he's playing. I mean, Jake, you know, a Jake Gardner deal invo involving Jake Gardner involving Trubo would make a lot of sense because Gardner's from Minnesota, close to yeah. close to Manitoba. You know, he's he's under contract. They probably could extend him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be a tough deal to pull off. And I think the the Leafs would would definitely be interested in Truba, but I, I keep, I keep going back to Ekman Larson with them. I don't know. It may, maybe it's just a feeling, but it, that's not going to happen until the summer anyway. So, I mean, here with Truba, my view is with the way Winnipeg's played, if they're smart, they keep them. Yeah. Tobias Enstrom's an unrestricted free agent after the year. He's likely gone. Myers right. has one more year after this year and then he's likely gone to me overall. Josh Morris, he's probably been their best defenseman as a whole with maybe Trooper behind it. And Myers has really had, had a you know return to form. But you've locked up Shifley long-term. You're doing what you've done so far lately without him in the lineup because right. of the injury. If, you, if, I'm, if I'm Winnipeg and I'm Shevel Dayoff, I'm signing Truba to a long-term deal, presuming he'll stay. Well, that's We want yeah. you to be the face of the organization defensively. Right. You're the guy we want. We're willing to open up the bank to a certain extent to keep you. Now, granted, he may want to go. Right. But the fact that they're winning and the fact that they're likely going to make the playoffs this year unless something untoward happens, you have to see whether or not that has an impact compared to what's gone on in the past. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the whole thing. If he wants to stay, then I think then a deal gets done. But if he doesn't want to stay, he's two years away from unrestricted free agency. He probably yeah. signs a bridge deal and then he walks for nothing. And they can't allow that to happen. So if this is it this is you know water get off the pot this year. Well if they sign him to a bridge deal, it makes it actually easier for them to deal him to an extent because yeah. you're not fogging up a lot of cap room and probably maximizes your return. But you need to be damn sure that he's not willing to stay before you make that deal, and also getting back fair value for a guy who's going to be who's going to be that good of a future defenseman as he matures is really going to be difficult as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, finally, before I've got to go in like a minute here, um, <clears throat> I wanted your guys' opinion on the Russian team that was announced here for the Olympics. Um, it's uh, is this the favorite? Like, do we see this as the favorite? Yes. And first of all, and how is it announced as a Russian team? This is hilarious to me. Like the Russian Ice Hockey Federation puts out their list. I mean, this is not a Russian team, right? This is going to be the unified team or whatever it's called. Right. Well, I mean, we know it's right. the Russian Ice Hockey Federation. It's about this is the, the senior Russian men's games. It's such a. I don't know. The whole thing feels a little bit bizarre. Well, I mean, we, we, we know, we know, I mean, okay. It, 
that hockey, Russian Russia hockey, uh, you know, their Twitter feed tweets it out. They announce it. We know that yeah, it's Ru- yeah. the Russian team. I mean, but but in, in you know, it's not going to be that at the Olympics because of the whole situation with the IOC. But we, you know, I mean, come on, it's all Russian players. Yeah, no, I know, but I know, but it seems like I thought they would go a little bit at least to try to pretend to, yeah, say, say like this is the unified team. But anyway, it's not. But, this is the Russian team, as they're calling but, it. But to your 2018 Winter Olympic champions, right? Yeah, but to yeah to your to your point, they're they're clearly the best the best team in the tournament with you know Datsuk and Kovalchuk. Uh, they have two really good uh, goaltenders in Sorokin and Sashurkin. So I mean, they, I think they have the best goaltending in the tournament. Um, defensively, you have a, an, a a borderline NHL All Star until the off the ice stuff in Slava Voinov and Alexi Marchenko is a borderline NHL period. But I I think that I think the and and it's all it's all KHLers from three different teams. I think it was Petersburg, Moscow, and uh, and uh, Mag- Magnitogorsk. So they have played yeah. together too. That's an advantage as well. I mean the name. I mean you just look at the names, right? You have Datsuk, Grigorenko, yeah, Kapuzov, Kovalchuk, Shipachov, all, Gusev. All these guys with with experience in yeah. terms of on in terms of forwards. And and you know it's interesting. Markov didn't make the team. I thought that was a little interesting. Some people thought that he would make the team, but as you said, goaltending-wise, I mean, look, selfishly, I'm looking forward to watching Sestjorkin hopefully play. Um, either he or Sorokin clearly will be the number one there. And, and it's, it is, quote-unquote, a KHL All-Star team to an extent. And I, I was hoping for a bit more of a mixture in terms of the the, the makeup of the team. But, you know, obviously they felt this the, the fact that, well, you know, we got a pretty darn good shot to win a medal. And that team clearly blows away all the other teams in the league right now. I'm also surprised a little bit that a guy like Sam Sonoff didn't make it. But I think that, and this is this is how Russian hockey is. A guy, a guy like Nikita Zaitsev, he made he he made certain teams in terms internationally, but when he made it clear that he was going to go to the NHL, they sort of blackballed him. Sam Sonoff yeah. made it. Painfully clear that he's going to the going to North America next year. I think he's the best goaltender in the KHL, and he didn't even make it. So they're there's even though you know they want to win the gold medal, they're playing their little political games as well. Well, they always will. They always will for sure. But um, I've got to run, guys. Um, okay. Thank you so much for your help. Thanks, Jan. I will talk to you later on, and yep. um, we will talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Yep. Yep. We'll just we'll just finish off this, uh, Jan, because I, I wanted to talk about not not specifically about the Leafs, but because but but the goaltender interference um, call. The, I know I was at the game on Monday. The Leafs lost to Colorado, but it wasn't because of that particular call. It was because you know in the third period they just let Colorado take over the team, take over the game. But tied one one in the second period. Austin Matthews scores a goal. Um, it was, there was a sort of a scrum in the front of the crease. Jonathan Bernier was coming out of the net, you know, moving forward. Austin Matthews was moving in. There was what I would consider incidental contact. And then Matthews reaches over and knocks the puck into the goal with his stick. That was called no goal because apparently the butt end of Bernier's stick was got up caught in Matthews's jersey. Fast forward three days later, or two days later, um, a goal in the game last night where Artem Anisimov is in the crease. He is he is pushed by Roman Polak, but not like cross-checked, just pushed. 
And we know we we know for a fact some of these players they take advantage of the fact that the defenseman is going to push them toward the net so they can sort of interfere. Anisimov is in the middle of the of the blue paint. Frederick Anderson is prone down on the ice, and then uh, I think it was Jordan Schmaltz came in and uh, and uh, or Schmaltz, I not Jordan. Nick Schmaltz, thank you. There's two Schmaltzes. Uh, Nick Schmaltz comes in and, and and beats a prone Anderson to tie the game. Now, that was called a goal. And this is where it is so completely subjective. I mean, if either you call everything that's in the in, in the blue paint no goal, a la Brett Hall, or, or you know, that, that was the exception of the rule in the Stanley Cup final, either – or let or let Toronto handle it completely. I, I mean, all I know is that I thought one I thought one was a goal, the Matthews goal. The other one was not a goal. The the uh, the Schmaltz goal. It has nothing to do with the fact that I you know I'm somebody who's interested in in the in the Leafs. It's the fact that I don't know where the where the rules are anymore. I don't know what the criteria is anymore. Well, I think you've you've kind of spelled it out exactly. There, there is no criteria. It's all subjective, right? Trying to determine what is and is not a goal, goalie interference is, 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 is basically, as you said, subjective. There is no rhyme or reason. There's no clear guidance. As you said, when a guy gets pushed into the goal, what could he have stopped himself? Was he impeded? Was he impeded or impacted by the defenseman pushing him? How did it impact the goalie? Uh, all those things have to be evaluated, and there's really no clear line to how to define that. That's that's the that's the issue here. There's, it's all gray because, as you said, the one with Matthews, although I love the play afterwards where he scored and pointed at the goal, it was a classic moment and yeah. probably one of the best moments all year that we've all seen as a direct result of it because I think, honestly, he was showing, says, okay, take that, try to overturn that one. because yeah. And usually what you see is a lot of times when there's goalie interference, you'll see the goalie complaining mm. on the goal. In that case, the goal that Matthew scored, there was no complaining. Bernier had nothing to say, which was a pretty good indication that he didn't think it was goalie interference. But you know, when it, when, it also depends on kind of also what you have to evaluate is where is the guy pushed into the goalie? Is he five feet away and nudged and falls forward? Or is he literally on top of the crease and the guy really whacks him with a cross check yeah. and it clearly has an impact? And all of these things have to be evaluated. But that call, as well as the offsides call, the two calls this year that have driven me the craziest. And the offsides one should be the cleanest to clean up, and it's what I've tweeted already. View it as a bisected line. If the skate is is bisecting the line, yeah, you're on sides. If it's not, and you're over the line with your skate in the air, then you're you're sorry, you're on sides when it bisects. You're offsides when it doesn't. Pretty simple. But you saw the video that Martin Biron sent out, where his leg is over, his leg is not over. So even then. There's a ton of gray area until all of these gets fixed and we kind of clearly state what the rules should be. Yeah. This argument's going to happen. And my opinion, Brett Hall's goal should have counted because it had no impact on Dominic Koshik in the crease at all. Yeah, I, th I think I think by next year they're going to go to breaking the plane and you're going to have cameras on the blue line that will be able to sort of like the, what they use in in, in, in tennis. I know the t with tennis it's the that – that um, yep. but, but it's going to be – you're going to be able to put basically like a field there and you're going to be able to tell whether what a happens, what happens if your jersey's not tied down and your jersey's over the line no. i mean how well we'll cover that on another all of that is going to be brought up because you know it's going to happen and and what's going to happen well again we will get into a discussion another time on replay in general because replay in general has not become what replay should be in almost every single sport and now every time you watch a game the first thing you literally i turned and go is okay let's see if there's going to be a replay of the of the call because you can't even celebrate 
And somebody said, you know, the Super Bowl or, or a Stanley Cup is going to end on a call like that. You're going to have to bring everybody off back on the ice and have them restart the game because it got overturned on replay. Yeah. And if it's a Super Bowl, it'll be in favor of the Patriots. OK, th- thank you, Jan. Uh, thanks. Well, act- <laughs> thanks to act for showing. <laughs> uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. For Jan Levine, for Eklund, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.